Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. We are a church on a mission, man, and great things are happening. God is doing great things. I'm really excited about uh, Mega Sports Camp. And this is year one for us, year one for us at Mega Sports Camp. And so here's the thing. We're going to need folks to help. We have no idea. I'm, I'm really praying that by the end of the week we have 200 kids. That's what I'm praying for. Because I'm praying that as people show up on day one, they're going to be like, man, my friends would enjoy this, right? And uh, so I see it as an opportunity for us just to reach out to the community. We are getting fingers into the community increasingly. And so, man, be in prayer, be in prayer, be in prayer. And if you can show up, show up and, uh, and help out. We're going to be here at 8 o'clock in the morning. So we've been in a series where we've been studying through the book of Luke. And it's just been so interesting. I have just enjoyed this so much because we're studying, like, Things that Jesus is doing, things that Jesus is saying. I'm, I'm not just making stuff up. These are the words of Christ himself. And, and what would he have to say? I believe this with all my heart. I believe that God has a word for you today. I believe that God has a word for me today. And God has been speaking to me on this for the last three to four weeks. And so I believe God's going to speak to us as a body today. And uh, so I, I, I'm anxious to see what God's going to do. It's interesting. If you think back over time, think back over time, right? Greatest inventions of all time, right? Greatest inventions of all time. And so there's fire. Fire was a good one. That was cool. Whoever came up with that, the fire idea, that was good. And then I kind of go, the wheel. The wheel was good. You should have appreciated that on your way to church today. I know you were thinking, dear God, thank you for the invention of the wheel. That was cool. And then you kind of have fire and then, and then the wheel and then Duct tape, exactly. And so duct tape is good. <laughs> duct tape is a good thing, right? But skip forever. Skip forever. Just think in your head right now. Don't say it out loud. Think in your head the last roughly 25 years. Greatest inventions of the last 25 years. Just roughly 25 years. Got one in your head? Okay, now I'll give you about 10, 15 seconds. Turn to somebody next to you. What's the greatest invention last 25 years? Tom, what was it? Tom, what was it? All right, don't worry. I'm going to give you the right answer. And here's the thing. When you're, when you're talking about what's the right answer, there's only about half of you in the room that have the potential to get this right. All right, so don't worry. Only about half of you in the room have the potential to get this right. Because the greatest invention of the last 25 years is, is not some people are, oh, the cell phone. It's not really the cell phone. It is specifically, yeah, GPS on the cell phone. And the reason that only half of you got that right is because half of you aren't men. Because men, we love it because we hate to ask for directions. We don't want to ask for directions. Kimmy and I have been driving a lot of different places, you know, in the last couple weeks. And we just put that thing on all the time. And as a guy, she knows because, like, I, I flip it up on my thing. And then I've got this little arm that sticks up and I put it on there. And I actually try to act like I'm not looking at it. You know, like, she's like, where are we going? I'm like... I don't know, in about 14.2 miles up here, though, I think I'm going to veer left. You know, like, right? Because, guys, we don't like to ask for directions. Now, think back. Do you remember what it was like before GPS? Do you remember? It's like some of you were like, was there a time before? Yeah, there was a time before GPS. And so what would happen is, like, you're either looking at maps and you're trying to do this and you had to learn how to read maps. Or here's the other one that's really bizarre. Remember this? You would call a friend. And they say, oh yeah, here's how you get to my house. 
and they'd be giving you directions. And some of your friends give the screwiest directions because they say things like this. Well, you're going to go about a mile. And then there used to be this big round building there. It's not anymore there. Okay, turn left there. Right? Or I had a friend that would always give directions. True story, he'd always give directions like this. Okay, you're going to go about two miles. Then you go up to the very top of this hill, big hill. You'll be at the top of the hill, and you go to the bottom. When you get to the bottom of that hill, okay, keep going. I'm like, how did, like, that doesn't help me. Like, right? And so inevitably, and we do this even sometimes, I've done this with GPS, right? But you would get directions from a friend, and you're driving along, and inevitably, somewhere in your head, you ask this question. Could I be headed? Like, you're starting to have that thought. Even with the GPS, even with the GPS, sometimes you're like, could I be headed in the wrong direction? And after you first introduce that idea, then there's a second question that comes to your head, and it's this. What would I need to do? Like, do I have to admit that I don't know where I'm going? Or do I have to turn? Or do I have to completely turn around and start over? Or do I just give up and go? Like, you would need to ask that question and start to have those thoughts. But then there's a third one, and this is the all-important question. And the all-important question is this. Am I willing to do it? Like, am I willing to admit that I'm lost? Am I willing to admit that I don't know the way? Am I willing to, to, to admit that I have to turn around? Am I willing to go to the station and ask for directions? And this isn't just a direction thing. Like, think about the bigger picture. Isn't this kind of true of life? Like, aren't there times in life where you're kind of rolling along and you think you got it going and you think you got it going and pretty soon you're like, could I be heading in the wrong direction? Like, am I maybe doing this wrong? Am I going about this wrong? And then once that thought comes to your head, you ask yourself the question, well, what would I need to do? Like, would I need, would I need to be doing this differently? What would I need to do? And the all-important question is, am I willing to do it? Am I willing to do it? And not even just life, but more specifically in our faith, in our spiritual journey, in our relationship with God. Right? You're clicking along, you go to church, you seem to be doing all the right things, and pretty soon you go, could I be headed in the wrong... Like, am I, am I not... Am I missing something? Right? And then if that's the case, what what would I need to do? And the all-important question is this. Am I willing to do it? So you're going to see that as Luke spells this out for us today. You're going to see it very interesting. Turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 in your Bibles. And again, I'll just say it again. I always think it's important to have a written Bible. I I know phones are great. There's something here and you can write in it. And so if you want one and you don't have one, you don't need to buy one. We bought them. They're on the tables. They're in the lobby. They're in English and Spanish. Just get the right one. On the way out of church today, just grab one. It's yours. It's our gift to you. Just have at it, right? All right, so let's do this. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. If you're new here, we always stand when we read our text, and we do it. It's a very strategic reminder to us, and the reminder is this. Hey, this isn't a book written by some folks. This is, this is God. This is God speaking to us today. In Bloomington, Minnesota, in 2022, I believe God has a word for you today. If you're online, wherever you're viewing from online, God has a word for you today, and it's written here, so we're going to listen to this. I'm in chapter 18, and... Uh, I'm beginning in verse uh, 18, and it says this. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question. Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 19, Jesus says, well, why do you call me good? 
Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Verse 21, the man replies, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard this, he said, well, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. Verse 24, when Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for the privilege of worshiping you. Thank you for your presence here this morning. Thank you, God, for your holy word. Thank you that it speaks life and it speaks truth. I believe this with all my heart, God. You have a word for us this morning. You have a word for each individual. They're not here by coincidence. You have a word for them this morning. And so, Father God, make that clear. Make your word clear to us this morning. Change us. Let your Holy Spirit just penetrate our hearts this morning, Father. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, it's an interesting passage for sure. And we'll kind of see the application of this. So look at where we started in verse 18. This is Luke. Now, remember this. We have the four Gospels. And if you're newer to church or you're newer to the Bible, we have what we call the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are the four Gospels. And a Gospel is, is basically the account of Christ and of the good news that Christ came and he died. And it's Jesus' words and it's what he's speaking to us. And there are four Gospel writers. And uh, it, it's very interesting that sometimes the gospel writers write differently. They say different things, and it's very understandable. Uh, if, if, if four of us, let's just say, were standing on, at an intersection and we were on four corners, and there's an accident right at that corner, right? We all have a different angle, and we all saw things very differently because of where we happen to stand. And then we all see things through our life perspective. So for instance, I've never had children. And so if I watch the auto accident and there's a mother driving, that's not a rip on women. I'm just saying if there's a woman driving and there's an accident, right? And there are two children in the back seat. I've never had children. And so my first thought isn't about the children. Now, if you're a mom and you have children, you would watch the accident and your first thought is, oh, are the children okay? There were kids in the car. And I would just say, wow, there was an accident, you know, two cars were involved. But I, but I wouldn't zero in on that because it's not my life experience. And so the four gospel writers just understand they, they come from different perspectives of life and they stand at different angles and they see things differently. This is specifically Luke who's writing to us. And Luke reveals this to us that a religious leader asked Jesus this question. Now, just so you know, because the synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke writes of it here. Matthew writes it in Matthew 19. He tells us the same story. Mark tells us in Mark chapter 10, only Matthew or only Luke tells us that he was a religious leader. Luke was the only non-Jewish writer of the New Testament. Think about that. Only non-Jew. And so Luke very, writes, very oftentimes writes about the outsider perspective. It's very interesting to me when Luke writes, right? He's also a physician, and so he's a very detail-oriented guy. And so he notes that he's a religious leader. Matthew and Mark just write that he was a certain man, 
But all three writers, by the time they get to the end, they tell us that this was a wealthy man, that he has a lot of possessions. We'll find that out, but it's very important. It says that he was a religious leader, a man of influence. And this leader, who's got stuff, he's one of the haves, he comes to Jesus asking the questions. He's seeking Jesus out and he's wanting information and, he, and he's honing in. There's something very specific that he wants to know. And he asks Jesus this question. Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, one of the all important questions, one of the questions that we all wrestle with, we've all thought about eternal life. Right? And he's saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I just want to point this out, that he, he zeroes in on something that is one of the greatest misconceptions that has ever been perpetrated. And that is that our faith, that eternal life is something we can just do. We just do, we just check this off. And we fall prey to that all the time too. Well, I just do church. Well, I, I even do communion once in a while. Well, I even do the offering bucket once in a while. Well, I do serve once in a while. Right? It's the greatest lie that we know this, that you are saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ. And this guy comes specifically saying, good teacher, what should I do? What's the, what, what can I do? What can I check off? Well, Jesus hears this question. And, and this is this guy at the very beginning as he's questioning this guy for the first time, perhaps. Now, here's what we think about this guy asking the question. Very likely he's validating himself. This guy very well could be validating himself. He's going to try to show how good he is. But this could be this guy for the first time just being like, what do I need to do to inherit life? Because I'm wondering, could I be headed in the wrong direction? Like, maybe that thought process has started for this guy. Very likely he's trying to validate himself. But he very well could be having this question, what do I actually do? Because maybe, maybe I don't have it quite right. And so Jesus says this, why do you call me good teacher, Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. Nowhere in the Torah, which is what Jews would have called the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Nowhere in the Torah, nowhere in the Talmud, which is the rabbinical law, it's written down, and it's rabbi's traditions and ra what rabbis have come up with. Nowhere is any rabbi ever called good. Because good to them would imply complete, it would comply, uh, imply whole, it would uh, imply without sin. And so what Jesus is really prying at, he's just trying to pry this guy's thoughts like, that's interesting, why would you call me good? Do you, do you get it? Do you understand that I'm perhaps God? I, I, you know, Jesus is just picking his brain. So he first asks him that, but to answer your question, he says, you know the commandments. Look, you're a Jew. All Jews would have known the Torah. They would have known the commandments. They absolutely would have known them. Jesus says, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. That means to lie. And you got to honor your father and mother. Jesus says, you know the commandments. Now, here's what's really interesting. And again, we don't get this because we're Gentiles. If you're a Jew, you're already a step ahead of me. You already got this, most likely. But Jews know this that there are really two divisions to the Ten Commandments, if you know the Ten Commandments. There are two divisions. The last six are what we call the second table, sometimes called the second table. And the last six all deal with these relationships, all horizontal relationships. And this is what Jesus has just given him. He has only given him, think about this, he's only given him horizontal or second table commandments. He didn't give him the first four commandments are all first table and they all have to do with our relationship with God. So notice everything is on the horizontal here. Don't commit adultery. That's something that's done with other people. Don't murder. That's what we do to other people. Don't steal. You steal from other people. Don't lie. Testify falsely. Don't lie to or about other people. Honor your father and mother. They are people. Jesus has only given 
given him second table. Didn't touch on first table yet. It's very interesting. And then the guy says, well, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. You're responsible for him as a Jew. You'd be held accountable, responsible since the time of your bar mitzvah. You'd be 13 years old. And basically what he's saying is, since 13, I'm crushing it. I'm hitting it out of the park. I'm doing really well. Now, we don't know that he absolutely kept them all. I think at face value, he kept them all. Jesus addressed so many of these types of things in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, if you've even lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery. Do we know that this guy was pure at that level? Probably not. But at face value, he says, I've done them all since I was young. I'm on a roll here, Jesus. This is where perhaps he's just trying to justify himself, validate himself. And when Jesus heard this answer, he said, well, there's still one thing you haven't done. Now, you could be like me, and this guy could be like me, but if Jesus says to me, there's one thing you haven't done, I'm like, I am killing it. I'm like nine for 10, I'm doing well here. Like, I feel pretty good about it. I've just asked Jesus, who's the good teacher, how am I doing? He's like, there's only one thing. Jesus didn't say there's only one thing. He said, there's still one thing. There's still one thing. Now remember, this guy potentially is asking some questions because we all go through these same questions. And so at first this guy started with, well, if I'm headed in the wrong direction, teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And now Jesus says, well, there is still one thing. And perhaps... This guy is now starting to think, I wonder what that one thing is. I wonder what I still need to do. I wonder what that is. What's the one thing? What do do I need to do? So now Jesus is going to tell him. He's going to tell him what the one thing is. And Jesus says this, rich guy, sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Now I want to be really clear about this. Jesus is not indicting the wealthy. If you grew up like I did, you were probably like, Yeah, let's get the rich people. Let's get them. Those rich people are wicked. They're evil. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus is saying, rich guy, I know you. I know your heart. I know exactly where you're at. And there's one thing. There's one thing. And you know what your one thing is, rich guy? It's your money. Not all rich people are like that. See, this rich guy didn't have possessions. The possessions had him. Understand what I'm saying? I know people who are so wealthy and they are generous, and they fund the kingdom of God. I have a friend who knows how to make money, and he's really good at it, and he believes that God has called him to be a money missionary. He says, I know how to make money. God has gifted me that way, and I make money for the kingdom of God. And I would say amen to that. Wish I'd have gotten some of that. But I'm just saying, this is not an indictment on wealthy people. Don't ever read this that way. There are people in this church that are so crazy generous, it'd blow your mind if you knew what was going on. It'd blow your mind, right? This is an indictment on the one thing. What's the one thing? Jesus says, sell all your possessions. And now remember, order is always important. The first thing he had to do was get rid of that one thing. And then the second thing was this, then, then after you do the first thing, then secondarily, now you can come and follow me. See, we can't follow Jesus when there's still that one thing in the way. So here becomes the question. See, this guy started out by asking, good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? 
What if I'm headed in the wrong direction? Could I be headed in the wrong direction? And then Jesus said, well, there's one thing. And now the guy's thinking in his head, well, what would I have to do? And now Jesus just said, get rid of that one thing. For you, it happens to be wealth, and then you can come and follow me. And so the all-important question for all of us becomes this. See, am I willing to do that? Am I willing to do that? If, if the Holy Spirit were to reveal to Neil what the one thing is, and maybe there's more than one, but let's just take one. If the Holy Spirit were to reveal to me what one of those things is, what that one thing is, see, am I willing to deal with that? Am I willing to surrender that? Am I willing to get rid of that? That's the all-important question. Now watch the man's response. It says, when the man heard this, he became very sad. The word for sad here isn't like bummed. This word is like grieved. This word is grieved. This guy is in agony. Well, why was this guy in such agony? The reason is because he was really rich. He had a lot of it. And again, he had it, but it had him. This same thing can be said for a lot of us. We all have those things that get in the way between us and God, and they keep us from fully following him. And if the Lord were to say, get rid of it, see, we have a decision to make. Am I willing to do that? And some people are going to be really grieved. So the story goes on and said, when Jesus saw this, see, when Jesus saw this, now just so you know, Matthew and Mark, they don't just write that the guy was really grieved. Matthew and Mark say that he was sad and he walked away. And Jesus saw that. Now think about this. Jesus, full of truth and grace. Jesus is now going to say to him, what do you think Jesus is going to say to him? Jesus said, no, psych, I was just playing. You go ahead and do what works for you. Do your thing, player. And then Jesus continues and said, just add me in where and when you feel like it. When it's not too inconvenient. Jesus says, when it doesn't cost you too much, make sure you stay safe and comfortable. I really don't want to cramp your style. Now notice, this is from the new knucklehead version. Can I just tell you this? Can I just tell you how much I wish that was the gospel message. Can I tell you just how much simpler it would make my life? Neil, you just do you. You just do what makes you happy, brother. You just do what works for you. Can I tell you that on a second level? Can I tell you how much easier it would make my life as a pastor? Do you know how, how, how I, I wouldn't have to confront people? I wouldn't have to stir the pot. I wouldn't have to irritate and anger some folks. Oh, no, you just do you. It's all good. It all works out. Don't sweat it. Just let it go. We act like Jesus is in a salt shaker. That's how we act. I'm going to sprinkle me some Jesus on this. When I went, I'll just add him a little bit. I'll just add me some Jesus to this just a little bit. When it works for me, how much I want, when I like it. If I got enough, so I'll just, that's enough. Jesus says, I'm not in a salt shaker. Jesus is like in this marinating dish. You put a piece in there to be marinated, a piece of meat that's going to get marinated, and it just soaks it. All of the meat just gets in there. And the marinade just infuses the meat. And now you take that piece of meat out and you cook it. You put it on your barbecue and the aroma of that meat just comes out. 
It's just infused. And when you eat that, you absolutely 100% taste it. And Jesus said, I'm not looking for you to sprinkle a little of me on to what you're currently doing. I'm saying, get in here and I want to infuse you. And when you walk out of your church and when you walk around the community, I want folks to smell me. And when you're tasting, like when they're talking, I want them to taste me. That's what I want folks to get. Right? I mean, like, we have, just, we have just messed this up at times so much. I'm just adding a little bit. Jesus isn't looking to get added into what you're doing. He's saying, do you want to get on board with what I'm doing, yes or no? Right? We're people on a mission. And so the truth is, what Jesus really said was this. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. There's all kind of scholarly debate on what this eye of the needle and blah, blah, blah. I think Jesus is just saying this. Man, when you got something that's so important to you and it's become your God, it, right? It's really difficult. See, Jesus gave this guy all the second table. And then he said, there's one thing more. And the guy's like, uh-oh. And now Jesus went first table. First commandment, you will have no other gods before me. Question, what is your God? I've been haunted with this for the last three weeks. Neil, what's your God? We got all kinds of crazy gods. We got all kinds of crazy gods. Listen, so I just want to read this. You don't need to. I, I just read this. In the, This is the stuff that wrecks me when I read the scripture because I, I struggle with this so much. Just, just listen to this. One time a large crowd was following Jesus and he turned around and he says to this crowd, if you want to be my disciple, you don't want to just be a Christian because that term has gotten so watered down. If you want to be a Jesus follower, if you want to be my disciple, you got to, by comparison, now get ready for this, by Harrison, comparison, that's all he's saying. You got to hate everyone else by comparison. Yeah, that includes, he says, your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. And if you don't carry your own cross, wait a minute, back up. First century audiences knew what that meant. They watched it all the time. Crucifixion was very real in the Roman Empire in the first century. Jesus said, if you're not willing to pick up your own cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. So I'm telling everybody right now, count the cost. You're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're just checking out because you're curious. I'm, I'm not even going to make any bones about it. What I want most is I want you to surrender your life, to come into relationship with the God of creation. I want you to follow him. I want you to serve him. That's what I want. But the, 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 the Savior's own words right here are before you do that, just wait. Don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They'd say, there's a person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. People get it when we're living these hypocritical lifestyles, and they go, nah, they're not really living it. And inside, they kind of laugh at it. Because we're living the salt shaker, Jesus. 
Then he goes on, he says, what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the army of 20,000? And if he can't, he'll send a delegation to discuss the terms. You can't become my disciple without giving up everything you own. And then he finishes with this. Salt's good for seasoning. Don't we all agree? Salt's good for seasoning. Listen to this question. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salt again? See, we've been called the salt of the earth. That's what we are as followers of Jesus. But what if we've lost our saltiness? See, what do we do then? Losing your saltiness means this. I got all my stuff and my stuff's all got me and we kind of live like this. I got one foot in, I got one foot out and I'm doing me, right? Flavorless salt is good neither, and I love this, neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. Like just soak in that for a little while. It's not good for either one. And then he says this, anyone with ears to hear should listen and don't just listen this morning, understand, like internalize this. And so the big, the big point, the bottom line, the big so what this morning is this, Jesus wants the one thing. That's what Jesus wants from Neil. He wants from me the one thing, right? But he wants the same thing from you. You know what my one thing is? My one thing, and I'll just be really honest because I talk about this all the time. I'm so insecure. I, may, I very well may be the most insecure person that you know. And you know what I really want more than anything else? I want approval. And I want acceptance. And so I'll acquiesce. I'll dance when you say dance. If I think it makes you happy, I think if it makes you like me. Like that's my one thing. Acceptance, approval. I have longed for that all my life and I pray about it. And the Lord is working on that. Right, I always say it's not a shock that I go to counseling. Nobody was surprised by that statement, right? That's my one thing. It's acceptance and approval. See, what's your one thing? And there may be more than just one. There's probably more than one for me, but what's the one thing? What's standing in front of you right now that keeps you from wholeheartedly, 100% just serving him? You know what's really cool? I don't even know where they're sitting. Andrew, I don't know where you guys are sitting this morning. I'm not trying to embarrass you guys, but Andrew and Jenny were, Jenny grew up at this church. They were long timers at this church, right? And, and so Andrew and I used to, he'd come into my office and we'd meet on Tuesday afternoons and we'd talk about the Bible and we'd talk about life. And then we were memorizing scripture. We're always memorizing scripture. And we'd memorize passages of scripture, right? And one day he said, and Andrew works downtown and Jenny's on the six o'clock news, you know, and they're just this young, happy couple. And all of a sudden one day Andrew says to me, I'm thinking about uh, maybe going into the ministry. I was like, oh, right on, love that. What are you thinking about? I don't know. I don't really know what I'm gonna do. I don't know. We just talk about it every week. What are you thinking about? What do you think? I don't know. I don't know what to do. You know, one day he comes in. You thought about that more? I'm thinking about being a missionary. Really? Brother, your wife's not going for that. <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> Jenny, no offense, but I was like, because we talked about it the other day. I was like, your wife's not going for that. See, I don't know. I'm kind of thinking about it. I'm thinking about being a missionary. I'm like, really? Okay. It wasn't much longer than that. He came in one day and he goes, well, we've just got our couch to sell. We've gotten rid of everything and we're going. Took off and went to Egypt. Spent two years there. 
Got to see them the other day. They're back. They've been in Lebanon for the last two years. You know what Jenny said to me? Jenny, I love this. I don't know where you're at, but I love this. I love that you said this. She goes, I finally feel like I'm being the Jenny that God wanted me to be all along. Because she's just surrendered everything. She just willingly surrendered everything. And guess what? God blessed it. Because she gave up the one thing. Maybe there are more, but it's like, what's your one thing? What is the Holy Spirit? What was the first thing that the Holy Spirit just said to you? This is your one thing. This is your one thing. I saw this in Romans as I was reading. I love this. Paul speaking to the church in Rome. I pray that God, God is the source of hope. And I'm praying that he'll fill you completely with joy and peace. Why? Because you trust in him. See, this whole one thing, you know what it is? It's a lack of trust. I don't trust God. God, if I give up my approval and decide to be accepted, like it's never gonna happen for you. No one will ever care for me, like me, love, you know what I'm saying? You, you feel like, God, if I give up all my possessions, I'm not gonna have stuff, what would, right? You trust in him. And notice the order is important. Then, after you fully trust him, then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. But that can't happen until you fully trust him. How do you show that you fully trust him? You give up the one thing. It all goes back to the one thing. Jesus said the one thing, the one thing, the one thing. So here's the big now what this morning. Identify the one thing. I think that's pretty obvious. My prayer for the last couple of weeks is that the Holy Spirit would just convict hearts. That the Holy Spirit would just, not, not in a shameful way. I'm not asking the Holy Spirit to shame anyone. I'm saying that the Holy Spirit would just give you a revelation this morning. Now what's the one thing? What's the one thing? Like what's that thing that just keeps you from wholeheartedly serving Christ? Because when you do and you fully trust him, he's going to fill you with this overflowing hope and joy. I want for God to bless you and to bless you richly. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes this morning. Can we just say this with your eyes closed? Will we just say this together? Holy Spirit, speak. Would you say that? Yeah, that's what I'm praying this morning, Father. It can't be by me, God. It can't be of me. It just can't. It just won't get it done. We need your Holy Spirit to speak to us. We need, we need to hear from your Holy Spirit, God. Nothing else. No one else. Holy Spirit, you want to speak. Open our minds and our hearts right now. What's the one thing? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. See, for some of you, it's going to be your possessions. And maybe there's always been a fear of a loss of money or a scarcity mentality. And God's saying, no, I'll take care of you. But God, if I gave of my money, if I gave of my possessions, see, for some of you, it's going to be that. See, for some of you, it's going to be relationships or a relationship. God, I, I couldn't give up that relationship. I mean, I couldn't. And God says, I, I'll be there. I have you. Be willing to surrender that. For some of you, it's your sexuality. You need to surrender your sexuality. No, God, I'm doing my thing, and that, that, that makes me feel accepted. It makes me feel wanted. God, I just enjoy. God, and God's saying, no, that's the one thing. See, I need you to surrender that this morning. For a lot of folks, it's comfort and security in the culture we live in. Comfort and security have been gods. They've become gods to us. 
God doesn't call us to security. He doesn't do that. You couldn't tell that to a first century Christian where coming to Jesus literally meant you surrendered everything and you were ready to carry a cross because that very likely was going to happen. God doesn't call us to comfort. He doesn't call us to security. Maybe God's calling you to give that up. See, I think for some people, God is calling you to give up your kids. Not, not, not to give them away, but, but to help you realize your children belong to me. I've placed them in your home, but they belong to me. Maybe God's calling you about, uh, talking to you about that. Here's another big one is time. Time is the big one today because honestly, when you live in a culture today like we do, there are a lot of folks who just rather write a check and you have the ability. But God says, no, I want your time. I want you to invest your time with those people. I want you to invest your time in that. And then some of you, you're, you're a lot like me. It's acceptance, it's approval. It's maybe it's position or prestige or power. And God's saying, no, humble yourself before me. Put yourself for me. I'm the only approval you need. If you're looking for acceptance from the world, God's saying, no, you need to be accepted by me, approved of by me. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? Because remember, then then the all-important question comes, am I willing to do it? See, am I I willing to do that? Because some of you are going to say, wow, I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying this to me. Okay, are you willing to do it? Father, I thank you for the presence of your spirit. I thank you for what the spirit does in our lives. I thank you that your spirit speaks truth to us. Now, God, I pray that you give us courage, that we would be a people of courage who act on what you're revealing to us, God. How do I surrender that? Give us courage. Give us boldness. God, that we would surrender, surrender, surrender whatever you've called us to do this morning. Father, let us marinate on this now. Let us marinate Let us continue to think about this. Work on a spirit. Work on a spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.